You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Good morning, church. My name is Kelsey Zarco, and I get to serve here in Little Village, as well as serve as a small group leader with Blue Haven Ranch. And our passage I'm reading today is Acts 1, 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken away from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, Village Church, Josh Patterson. want to introduce to you Guy Mason. Guy is a pastor. He's actually the founding pastor of City on a Hill Church, which is based in Melbourne, Australia. But City on a Hill expanded from Melbourne to different cities across Australia. It's a powerful movement, one that we're super excited about here at TVC. And Guy's passion and the central mission of City on a Hill is to know Jesus and to make him known. Uh, Guy is a passionate communicator. He loves the Lord Jesus, and he loves people knowing Christ. And so we're eager to have him here. We're eager to hear what he has for us. He's married to Vanessa. They have four great kids. So would you please welcome with me Guy Mason. Thank you so very much for that introduction. So wonderful to be with you. As you can see from this picture, uh, this is my wife, Vanessa. The other thing you can see from this photo, I'm wearing my favourite shirt today. (laughs) So wonderful to be here. And what a joy uh, and privilege it is to gather with you uh, as we open God's Word together. So, Uh, It's a Thursday afternoon and I'm sitting uh, in an Uber car on my way into uh, Brisbane, uh, Australia. My my driver's name is Ricky and uh, Ricky's got a cool hipster beard, some tattoos on his right sleeve, a warm smile. And I say, Ricky, how long have you been serving and working as an Uber driver? And he says, oh, about 14 months. And I say, have you picked up any crazy people along the way? He says, absolutely. And he spends the next, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes sharing his favourite Uber stories. And then he turns to me and he says, so Guy, what do you do for a job? And I say, guess. 
I like to ask people to guess and because I'm interested in how I'm perceived and, and what I project. And he looks at me and he says, uh, I don't know, stripper? <laughs> no, Ricky. Uh, sex worker? No, wrong again. Ricky, I'm a church pastor. He says, a church pastor? Really, does that mean you like live in one of those church buildings? And I say, well, not exactly, Ricky. Uh, as a Christian, we believe the church are the people of God and we meet in all various different places. I happen to lead a church called City on a Hill. And we meet in all kinds of places, Melbourne and here, right here in, in, in Brisbane. And, and he says, wow, that's, that's interesting. What made you decide you wanted to become a church pastor? At which point I casually lock the doors <laughs> and share my story. And uh, as we're sharing this, I say, so Ricky, have you ever been to church? He says, no, I've never been to church in my life. I'm like, wow. And he says, you know, guy, when it comes to my beliefs, I just believe in, in, in living life to the full. I'm all about life and living life to the full. I'm saying, really, that's, that's interesting. I know someone else who said something very similar. Do you mind if I share a passage of scripture with you? He had no choice. Uh, <laughs> I talk about this. I say, Ricky, there's this moment in one of the Gospels where Jesus is standing before a crowd of people. There's all kinds of people, tradies and plumbers and, and some religious folk and maybe some Uber drivers. I'm not quite sure. But Jesus said this. He says, I have come that you'd have life and have it to the full. Right? And he's like, really? Yeah, yeah. I've said crazy thing. Jesus is always talking about life and how in him we can have it to the full. He says, I never would have imagined Jesus saying anything like that. I said, yeah, he says it all the time. Now, I'd love to tell you at this moment that the heavens parted and I got to baptize Ricky in the, in the Brisbane River. But that didn't happen. We chatted for a little bit more and he dropped me off. But in that moment, sitting in that Uber car with Ricky, I was reminded of this unique moment in history where the vast majority of people that we rub shoulders with every day, go to work with every day, Uber with every day, don't yet know the beauty and the truth and the relevance of Jesus. Right, we're living in this unique moment in time. I was actually sent an article some years back now uh, from an Australian Christian paper looking at church decline over the, vast, uh, the last kind of 50 years. When I first saw this, I thought, how nice that they chose a picture of me to capture the bottoming out of the church. <laughs> right, that's, that's, that's impressive. But do you see what this tells us? It tells us that right now there are millions of men and women who are not part of a worshipping community. It tells us that there are millions of men and women who don't yet know the loving support of a church family and the ever-present steadfast love of our Heavenly Father. It's telling you and me that there are millions of men and women made in the image and likeness of God who are right now estranged from their heavenly Father, facing an eternity without Him. So what do we do with that? Do we give up? Do we give in? Do we retreat? No. 
Now is the time for God's people to rise up. Now is the time for us to take hold of the good news of the gospel and to step out with courage and boldness and sacrifice and humility to know Jesus and indeed to make Jesus known. Right? We don't want to spend our days bemoaning a changing culture or getting caught up in the political divide that is plaguing the church. We don't want to waste our days doing that. We want to be Jesus' people, people who love Jesus, people who are seeking to become more and more like Jesus, people who want to herald his good news. So what I'd love to do with us this morning, what I hope God can do among us is uh, jump into God's Word and consider the mission and vision that God has for us all. If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to go and grab that now. Come with me to Acts chapter 1. And I want to draw our attention to see three insights. I want to talk about the heart of revival, the vision for revival, and the power in revival. So first, the heart of revival. So in the opening chapter of Acts, we find the disciples standing uh, uh, on the Mount of Olives and, and, and they're gathering around Jesus. And, and, and only... A little while earlier, uh, they had seen with their own eyes this Jesus uh, go to the Roman cross and suffer that brutal and bloody death. They saw it. And yet they've also seen this same Jesus who died and was buried, raised to new life. Jesus rose spiritually. He rose physically. He rose historically. He rose victoriously. And so there you are standing with the other disciples and here is Jesus, the reigning, ruling king. And they have a question for Jesus. You see that? They said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now we need to appreciate that at this moment in history, the Roman Empire dominated the world and they ruled with an iron fist. And the disciples are longing for the day that God might overthrow that throne and establish his kingdom on earth. But note Jesus' response. Verse 7, he says, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's an intriguing response, isn't it? Jesus isn't denying their longing for the restoration of the kingdom. In fact, he'd already taught them that a day is coming when he will return with a cloud of glory. But according to Jesus, that day is known only by the Father. All of which to say that we are living right now in what the Bible calls the last days. You and me, we are living in the last days. Every day we live, we're getting closer and closer to the fulfillment of all things. And so this must raise an important question for you. Namely, how do I live my life in these last days? What am I gonna give myself to in these last days? Now, if we were to ask the world out there, they're gonna say, well, it's easy. Eat, drink and be merry because tomorrow we die, right? In other words, just get as much as you can out of this world before the party is over. 
But do you see what Jesus says about this life that you have? Do you see what he says about how we are to live and who we are to be? Verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What are we to do with our life? Be a witness. Be a witness. It, it doesn't matter if you're leading a, a business right now, serving as one of the great volunteers in this church, uh, maybe serving as a single parent, a student in a university, or serving grande lattes at Starbucks. If you are in Christ today, you are called to be a witness. That's who we are. That's what we're called to be. And do you know what we're witnessing to? Right? We're not to be a witness to our tradition. We're not called to be a witness to our political preference. We're not even called to be a witness to our lifestyle or our way of life. No, Jesus says you are to be my witnesses. You're to be a witness to Jesus. You're to be a witness to his life, his death, his resurrection. You're to be a witness to his good news. And I, and I hope we can just see how significant this is. Um, many assume when it comes to the heart of Christianity, at least in my culture, many assume that the heart of Christianity is morality, right? Being a good person. That's what they assume when we're talking about Christianity. So for example, I'm on a flight uh, with my wife sitting to my left and she's sitting, sitting to another woman and they get into this great conversation about spirituality and faith and the Bible and Jesus and all that stuff. And what was interesting to me is that as they were talking, this woman would on occasion swear, right? Not my wife, the woman, right? <laughs> and yet the moment a swear word came from her mouth, she felt this need to start apologizing, Right, like I was the school principal or something. You're going to be in detention. We actually ran into her outside of the airport at the taxi rank. She lit herself a cigarette. Yet when she saw us, she got all nervous and sort of butted it out like this. Why? Because I'm living in a culture where Christianity is synonymous with religious morality. Now, does Jesus provide us teaching about life and the difference between right and wrong? Absolutely. But as someone once said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Amen? Right? This is the Jesus we worship. You can witness about kingdom values and kingdom principles, but a kingdom without a king counts for nothing. Right? At the end of the day, it's not our good deeds that save At the end of the day, it's not my morality that is going to save. It's not even the persuasiveness of my speech. At the end of the day, it is Jesus who saves because he's at the heart of revival. Right, let me just share a little bit about my own story. I was not raised going to church, didn't have a Bible, didn't believe in God. To me, in perfect honesty, I thought Jesus was nothing more than a swear word or a cuss word, whatever you want to call it, right? Right, that's all, I, that's all I knew. And yet, like so many people, I experienced what Blaise Pascal once said is the glory and garbage of the universe. Right, the glory and the garbage of the universe. So there are lots of good things in life. Good sports team, 
uh, good school, good mates, but there were also difficult things I experienced, particularly as a young kid. My parents separated when I was young. Uh, my dad uh, was heavily, well, fell into kind of a, a lifestyle of alcohol and drugs. My own brother ended up living on the streets for a season of his life. And so you've got this beauty in life and you've got this brokenness of life and they clash together and me as a young kid is just asking questions. So where did this world come from? <laughs> Who made me? <laughs> What's the point of it all? And in the midst of this, a friend of mine gifts me with a Bible. Uh, I, was a, I thought I was a bit of a songwriter at the time. I thought, maybe there's some cool lyrics in this. Maybe I should read it. <laughs> and I remember like yesterday, teenage kids sitting on my bed, opening it up and encountering the living Christ. Reading of Jesus having meals with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and encountering his compassion. Uh, uh, reading of Jesus walking on water and giving sight to the blind and raising the dead and encountering his power. Seeing Jesus in the synagogues and in the public square proclaim the scriptures with authority and I encountered his truth. Seeing our Jesus go to Calvary and go to that cross and die the death that I should have died, the death for sin. Man, I encountered his love. I love this quote by N.T. Wright. He says, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus and go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama, which has him as the central character. That's the heart of revival. We're about Jesus. Amen. Amen. Second insight to share with you today is the vision of revival. Uh, look with me again to verse eight. Jesus says, you uh, will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And do you know where I live? <laughs> the end of the earth, <laughs> right? The only reason I am here today, the only reason I got to kind of plant a little church and help people know about Jesus is because Jesus himself has a big vision a great burning passion, ambition that his good news would go out near and far. And we see this, don't we, in the book of Acts. You can actually track the ministry of the gospel as it goes out. In Acts 1 through to 7, the gospel goes to Jerusalem. Uh, chapters 8 through 11, the gospel moves through Samaria. And then in 12 through to 28, his gospel, the good news, reaches Rome. Right? It's a big vision. And what's interesting to me is noticing how the disciples accommodate their witness to those they are seeking to reach. So for example, in Jerusalem, you're going to see Peter quoting the Old Testament regularly and showing how all the, the, the promises of God are going to find their yes in Jesus. Yet interestingly, when Paul's in Athens, you're going to see him uh, quoting local prophets and appealing to local spirituality. All why? That they might know 
Jesus. Right? They're constantly, they're not uh, compromising on the gospel in any way. Uh, they, they know the timeless message of Jesus, but they're seeking to communicate it in timely ways. Um, something I've found personally helpful in being a witness of Jesus is, is trying to work out very early on, uh, when it comes to people I'm, I'm ministering to, uh, is this someone who is pre-Christian or someone who is post-Christian? Right, let me explain that. Someone who is pre-Christian is perhaps someone who has little to no understanding of God, the Bible, the church, or Jesus. Right? That was my story. I was pre-Christian. I didn't know anything about it. Right? The gospel was like genre of music to me. That's all I kind of knew, right? Pre-Christian. But then, of course, there are people who've uh, perhaps grown up going to a religious school, or maybe they were part of a religious family, or even they went to a church, but they got through all of that and came out of the other side and said, nah, it's not for me. Um, that would actually be my mother's story. Uh, my mother was abandoned by her mother when she was a little girl, uh, and she was then sent with her sister to an orphanage in a rural area in, in Australia. And it was run by Catholic nuns under the banner of Christ to be like a refuge of kindness and care and compassion. In reality, that was not what she experienced. In reality, this whole place turned out to be a place of uh, uh, bullying and abuse where they distorted the message of God and used him as kind of the wrath to whip them into line. And I'm sure you know this, there's been countless studies to show that there are a lot of people checked out of Christianity, not because of some intellectual argument or some discrepancy they found in the Bible, but because of the love they heard about in Christ was not evident in the life of people that they were ministering alongside. What does that mean? It means that if we're ministering to someone who is post-Christian, I'm going to want to enter in humbly, I want to take time to understand their story and ask good questions. Uh, I'm, I'm seeking to not only proclaim the love of Christ, but indeed live the love of Christ. One of the things I seek to help our church think about is that as Christians, we want to be marked by Christ-like uh, conviction, but also Christ-like compassion, right? These two need to walk together. And as a church... We also need to lift up the life and love of Christ, not only to people who are like us, but also to people who are not like us. You see that in what Jesus is outlining in this mission for his people? When Jesus says, go to the ends of the earth, he's not only showing his disciples that the mission of the gospel must extend to new places, it must now reach new people, new people. Uh, the church that I get to serve in uh, is incredibly diverse. Uh, we have people from different countries, different nationalities, different languages. We have some people who've grown up going to church, others who are checking out church for the very first time. Uh, we have young people, we have older people. We have those who politically lean left and those who politically lean right. Uh, we have single people. We have married people. We have people who are attracted to the opposite sex and some people who are attracted to the same sex. We have people who've lived very wild and adventurous lives and we have accountants. <laughs> we are a diverse people. 
And we thank God for that because here's the reality. All of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners in great need of God's grace. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has paid the price that we all might know his saving grace and love. Amen? Amen. Uh, Early uh, this year, I had coffee uh, with a bloke. um, For the sake of the story, I'll call him Jack. And uh, Jack had seen a couple of our uh, services online and decided to come along to City on a Hill uh, with his wife and kid. And I always love to hear people's stories. And uh, he shared with me about his upbringing, which he explained was a pretty typical Christian life, a pretty Christian, uh, typical Christian journey. Uh, but he began to drift. He began to drift. Uh, he found himself, he said, driven by his career and worldly success. In his words, he said, all of a sudden, I didn't have time for church, no time for Bible study, no time for Jesus. God was just an echo. But the deeper he went into his career, the more he began to become immersed in the lifestyle of the world. Uh, He found himself surrounded by people who were just living for themselves, and he noticed his behaviors and his attitudes, and things began to change. He became cynical, and he found himself in darker places doing things that he never imagined he would do, and then it all came crashing down. A spiral of depravity and sin uh, led to sadness and eventually his arrest. And the blink of an eye, he said, he lost his job, uh, he lost a bunch of his friends, he lost his reputation, he lost in his worth everything he was trying to work for. And yet remarkably, in the midst of that brokenness and mess, God had not let him go. God was pursuing him. God was wooing him back home. And so in the midst of all, he cries out to God, he repents of sin, he surrenders to Jesus. When we were catching up for coffee, uh, we were just weeks away from his trial. And uh, we prayed together. (laughs) Prayed that God's peace would be with him. And he wasn't spared from jail time. Um, But God remained with him and for him. A couple weeks ago, he's now out of prison, he shared some reflections on God's grace. I want to read this to you. These are his words. He says, in the early days of my prison sentence, I hated myself. I hated how I'd fallen so far. I was angry, lost, and defeated. But echoes of sermons and callbacks to the love shown by those who walked beside me kept shining through. Life is not defined by our mistakes and sins, but how could anything beautiful come out of such an ugly situation? In search of answers, he, he sought out the Bible. He says, time after time through the Old and New Testament were examples of God's grace and unfathomable love. Why didn't this make sense before? Why here and now in a prison cell am I feeling the closest I've ever felt to God? Chapter after chapter, I was amazed. Prayer never felt so meaningful. I saw myself like the Israelites, God's chosen, who time after time strayed from God. Through their sin, tragedy would strike. God used the consequences of their sin to humble them and was always there to welcome them back. God took my shortcomings, my sin and my shame, the ugliness, all of it. He nailed it to the cross where his son Jesus took my place. I was to blame, but all was forgiven. And then please note what he says next. 
I carried a certain peace with me throughout the rest of my prison sentence. This was eventually picked up by my cellmate. This opened the conversation and immediately I knew what I had to do. I shared the good news. I shared why I felt so secure and at peace. Through late nights, I would read the Bible with him. The week before my transfer out of prison, we prayed together. He fell to his knees and he wept and that night, He accepted Jesus as his personal Lord and Saviour. How good is the gospel? How good is Jesus? Right? The gospel is not just true news. It is good news of great joy for all who believe. For all who believe. Could you just imagine, just go with me in your mind right now and imagine revival breaking out and seeing hundreds, no, thousands of people coming to know this good news, coming to know the forgiveness and freedom and hope we have in Christ. Can you see your work colleagues? Can you see that family member? Can you see that neighbour? Right, this is the gospel we're called to take hold of. This is the Christ we are called to know and indeed make Known. Third and final point. We've considered the heart of revival, the vision. Let's also see, so important, the power in revival. So when I imagine the disciples standing on this hill in the presence of Jesus, hearing him cast this vision and calling them to to step out, I, I can't help but wonder what they're thinking and feeling in that moment. I suspect if it was me, I'm I'm excited, like, yes, let's do this. I I want this. But at the same time, I'm sure that they are gripped with their own insecurity, doubt, and fear. Let's not forget, the disciples are not the Avengers. (laughs) They're just ordinary. In fact, they were not the people picked to be at the top of the class, right? They, in so many ways, are not... They don't have the education or the experience required for all that lies ahead. And you also need to recognize that the world they are going into is far from neutral. It's a tough world that Jesus sends his disciples into, right? So think about this. To the Greeks, the message of Jesus, well, madness. To the Romans, the message of Jesus was weak. To the religious and Jewish leaders, The message of Jesus was foolishness. And so for these disciples, as they're weighing this up, as they're considering all, they had to be filled with not just doubt, but fear. They had to be in that moment weighing up the cost. What is this going to mean for my life? What will this mean for my relationships? What will this mean for my work and my place in the community? There was a cost. And I hope you and I can know that we relate at this moment. That if you're going to be a Christian today in this world, if you're going to say yes to Jesus and be a witness, there will be a cost. You need to weigh that up. Uh, A few weeks ago, our church, uh, our little church in Australia, made national headlines across our country. And here's why. Uh, The chair of our church board, uh, a wonderful Christian guy named Andrew Thorburn, um, had been offered and accepted a role as CEO of the Essendon Football Club. 
Now, you don't know who the Essendon Football Club is. That's okay. Um, but just imagine, like, a, sport is a religion for us. And, and, and the football club, it's like an NFL club, and he's got, like, this highest position. And for him, he's an Essendon supporter. Dream job. Excited for it. We thank God for that. And we, we, we were, uh, we're moving forward with encouragement. But as the news broke out about his appointment, some of the media decided to try and go after the link between his role as the CEO of the football club and his Christian faith. And they wanted to zero in on that and tighten the screws. In fact, one journalist decided to trawl through all of our preaching and teaching and plucked out a sermon from me. Um, I mean, who's listening to 10 years of my preaching? That's got to be a painful job. But... (laughs) He goes all the way back to 2013 and finds a sermon from me uh, where I was seeking, it was a tough question series and we're looking at the topic of abortion. I was seeking to lay out a vision of the sanctity of all life uh, and that Jesus is for life. And then they plucked out another sermon. Uh, This one actually wasn't by me, but I'd be happy to say it, where we made the controversial call that marriage is a covenant that God gives between one man and one woman. Immediately, overnight, controversial church, media goes completely nuts. Uh, And then things got even more heated when the premier of our state, a guy named Dan Andrews, I know the political system is a little different here, but he's like the leading head governor of our state and it's a bigger government in Australia, so lots of control, big voice. Uh, He gets up before the media and they're like, what do you think about these comments? What do you think about these sermons? And he just, you know, this is exactly what he says. Bring up the words right now. He says, those views are absolutely appalling. I don't support those views. That kind of intolerance, that kind of hatred, bigotry, it's just wrong. So amidst all of this, the Essendon Football Club, feeling the pressure, (laughs) forces Andrew to make a choice. Will you be the CEO of the Essendon Football Club? Or will you continue on with this church and board and Jesus stuff? After just 24 hours in his new position, Andrew made the courageous and sacrificial decision to resign as the CEO of the Essendon Football Club and put Jesus and his church first. (laughs) Praise God. This is a reminder of the times we are now living in, Uh, a time where holding fast to biblical conviction may in fact get you labelled hatred, bigotry, intolerant and wrong. It may come at a huge cost. Your family, the university, the college, the neighbourhood or even your job. So how are we going to do it? Where do you find the courage amidst all of that? How can a little church like City on a Hill make a difference in Australia? How can the village church make a difference for the gospel? How can you rise up in this time and stand and be a witness for Jesus? Well, verse four, Jesus says this. Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Spirit, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And again, in verse 8, Jesus says, note these words, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Do you see it? We not only need a vision for revival, we need the power. We need God's presence. 
We need him leading and loving and guiding us and giving us all we need. And that promise that Jesus makes in chapter two in the next chapter is fulfilled. As promised all through the Old Testament, God's spirit is poured out upon God's people, not just to a few, but to all who are in Christ. And even in Acts chapter four, when resistance is mounting and and persecution is coming, what do we find the early church doing? They're huddled together in a prayer meeting and we're told that the spirit of God descends and fills them. And what happens? They proclaim the gospel with boldness. Right? It is the Spirit who sends. It is the Spirit who empowers. It is the Spirit who's going to give you the words, the opportunities. He's going to open the door. And ultimately, Village Church, it is the Spirit who awakens dead bodies and gives them life. What does this mean? It means that God can use you. Do you know that? He can use you. I'm a guy who wrestles with a lot of insecurity and doubt. I look at other people and say, man, wouldn't it be great to be used by God in that way? But I don't have this and I've got a bad story and I stuffed up in sin here and I, and I felt this particularly when I uh, planted the church. I was 27 years of age at the time, never led a church before, never planted a church before. Uh, I joined a small group Bible study. Uh, it had about 11 people two of which left in the first two weeks, so we were off to a great start. (laughs) And I was excited. I want a big vision, but daunted. I remember standing outside of the apartment. My wife and I moved into the city. Uh, We had a small group night. It was like a Tuesday night, waiting outside. And I kid you not, not one person came. I just remember walking back into the apartment and there's like cardboard boxes and my wife's pregnant with our firstborn thinking, I'm an idiot. I'm embarrassed. I can't do this. But isn't it amazing how God loves to surprise us with his grace? Right, just a few months after that, my wife and I were walking in an area called the Docklands, which is where we wanted to plant the church. And we were just praying and looking for where a potential venue might be for our little church. And there was no, it was like a new development area, so there's no uh, obvious buildings or auditoriums or theatres or anything like that. And we have dinner that evening uh, at a place called the James Squire Brewery. It's this two-storey building, brewery, overlooking the water, Uh, We're having dinner there that night and we both kind of turned to each other and said, man, wouldn't this be a great place to start a new church? Had comfy leather couches, a projector so we could do worship. We had our own bar so we could do communion on tap. Um, (laughs) It's perfect. Little did I know, the very next morning, I was being interviewed at the oldest church in Melbourne, an Anglican church called St. James Old Cathedral. There's like 17 people there that day. I'm being interviewed up the front about this new church. And at the end of the service, uh, over uh, scones and jam and tea, um, a couple comes up to me. And they're not from Melbourne, they're actually from Sydney. And they say, look, we were just walking along and we heard the church bells and decided to wander on in. We really love the vision you have for a new church in the Docklands. And Uh, We'd love to help. I'm like, well, we need all the help we can get. And they said, well, we uh, own a venue called the James Squire Brew House. (laughs) Have you heard of it? I'm like, I was there last night. And they're like, would you like to use that for the church free of charge? Hmm, let me think about that. Um, (laughs) Yes. The media took a massive interest in this when they were nice. This is 15 years ago now. Um, (laughs) 
Uh, this is one of the earliest articles. That's me uh, there. Um, I think they thought we were baptizing people in beer. Uh, <laughs> we weren't, but it made for some good headlines. I love this quote um, uh, towards the end of the article. The journalist says, the new church is a 21st century creation. Parishioners email each other and the website has YouTube videos. <laughs> oh yeah, we were cutting edge. Uh, by God's grace, two weekends ago, we celebrated our 15th anniversary together as a church. <laughs> Praise God, hey. What was once this small group Bible study is by God's grace and God's grace alone now a movement of nine churches uh, hundreds of people have given their life to Jesus. Uh, Jesus is being lifted up. And we, Lord willing, have a vision to see 50 churches planted across 10 cities. And we have a big vision because we worship a big God. Amen? And how cool it is that we get to walk with Jesus and follow Him as He seeks the lost, as He seeks those who are desperate to know the gospel. Listen, they have eternity written on their hearts and they're trying to fill it with all kinds of things. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is their hope. Jesus is their glory and we get to join with Jesus. What does that mean for you? Look at this final verse as I land this plane. Verse nine, final verse. Luke says that after Jesus ascends into heaven, the disciples stood there looking to the cloud like this. And two angels appear, saying, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. Village Church, you could spend your days looking up at the clouds, just waiting. Or you can seize these last days Take hold of the gospel and do everything you possibly can to be a witness for Jesus. That doesn't necessarily mean you need to plant a church in Australia, though you would be welcome. <laughs> but I'd love you to be thinking right now, in your context and in your way, how has God positioned and placed you to make a difference for Him? I am so incredibly thankful for this church. I am so thankful for the love you have for God, your boldness in proclaiming God's word and the Christ that you know, it lifts. I'm so incredibly thankful for the leadership of this church, particularly Pastor Matt, his great love and investment uh, in this state, but also around the world, the way he's loved me. I'm so incredibly thankful for the volunteers who serve in this church week in, week out. I've got to meet some of you. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for the ways that you're praying and worshiping and loving God. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep proclaiming Jesus. Keep surrendering yourself to Jesus. Keep expecting big things. Keep asking God to do immeasurably more than you could ever think or imagine because this is the time to worship Him. Let's stand. Let's go to the God that we so desperately need. Father in heaven, we love you. And we thank you that you first loved us. And in your goodness and kindness, you did not turn your back on this world, but you came 
And you sent your one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Oh, that we would know this good news. Capture our hearts. Fill us with your Spirit, that we would shine your light near and far. We love you, Lord, and we give you all the glory and praise. And it's in Jesus' wonderful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.